and newly married couples without kids often do, Heather and I many years ago bought a puppy. Actually, we were given a puppy, a black Labrador mix that a neighbor had, and we um, began loving on this little dog and trying to train it, but we're not doing so well, so we took it to dog obedience school. And Ed, the dog trainer, taught us how to walk with the dog, and he, and he was trying to get us to train the dog to keep his eyes on us. And so we would walk with the dog, and I can hear, still hear trainer Ed saying this. He said, just give him a little pop, just pop, just a little pop. And he had this little t- choke collar on, and if you turn left, you pop, and then he, he's supposed to learn to look to you, and if you turn, he turns. And if you don't turn, he doesn't turn. And, and his eyes are on you as the master, the owner of the dog. Well, we went out and walked around our little neighborhood in our, t- our townhouse area, and we were working on the dog, working on the dog, and we just, either the dog was not trainable or we were not doing something right. So what we finally figured out was that they sold choke collars that actually had little spikes that would push in on the neck of the dog, presuming that the extra pain would cause the dog then to look at you. But that didn't happen either. And so what we ended up doing was having a very tough and stubborn dog with apparently a very strong neck. And as we would walk, as we would walk the dog, he would pull us until our arm was tired and we would take him in. You see, what I find helpful about this illustration is that spiritually speaking, it's very similar to us. And many of us will not turn our eyes to God. We will just keep going, and there will be pain, and there will be choking that happens. And what happened with the dog was he ended up getting a lot shorter walks, and they were difficult. If he had looked to us and done what we wanted, we would have walked him where he needed to go. We would have gone further and taken him on more outings. But because he didn't want to look to us, we couldn't do that. Now, this morning is Vision Sunday, as I've shared. And one of the things that I love about this church is that its eyes are on its master. This is a church looking to God. And this has been the case for many years. It was 10 years ago on the Feast of Epiphany that the vestry made the decision to part ways with the old denomination and and give up the building and give up all the property and move out because the leadership believed that's what God wanted to do. They were keeping their eyes on the Lord, and they led the whole church in this process of prayer, of discernment, of looking to God. What is the Lord saying? And with near unanimous decision, 400-some people walked out and went into the Orange Park Cafetorium. Now, I wasn't there. Many of you weren't there. I came while we were in the cafetorium, but I feel like I own this story as well. I've fully bought into the story because I'm part of the next phase of it. And wherever you've come into the story, I hope you will buy into it as well and look back and say, there were very faithful people that got us to this moment, and there are faithful people that will take us forward. And this will happen by keeping our eyes on the Lord. This is a church that listens to God, that keeps its eyes on the Lord. But you see, he didn't just get us here to escape something. He got us here because he has work for us to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has work for us to do. He had work for the church back then to do, and he has work for us to do now. What I love about this church is its eyes are on Jesus. What I love about ministry in general is that you get to see lives transformed, The Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes. This morning, on our way out, we'll get a connection guide. And this connection guide will have in it a picture of the vision diagram, which is a fairly complicated diagram. And I want to highlight two things on that diagram. It's going to take a while to explain it, but it, it, is, it is what is driving all of our efforts as a church. There are two words on that diagram, grace and growth. And I want to speak to those this morning. The first one is the word grace. Before the Apostle Paul says that we are God's workmanship, he says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may, may boast. It is a gift of God. And the way that grace works for us is that God, out of love, comes to us and he gives us something. He gives us forgiveness of our sins. He gives us Christ's righteousness. He does work for us, taking our place on that cross so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to him. And the human nature wants to somehow earn things. We want to do part of that work, but we can't. And what we learn, and hopefully you've been taught this, is that we are saved by grace, by grace alone. We can't add works to this. This is simply a gift of God. And when we receive that gift, it changes everything for us. It changes how we look at God. It changes us into grateful people. God fills us with his spirit and then moves us on to growth. Some people will claim grace, grace, grace all day long, and they will never do any of the work God gives them to do. And they, they, they can be called grace junkies. You get stuck in this spot where it's, it cheapens the gift that God has given us. You see, the Lord has not saved us just from something. He has saved us into something. He saved us into a purpose. And that's where the growth comes in. You are saved by grace, but, and grace that is alone. Grace alone saves you, but not that remains alone. It then gives birth to works. It calls us forward to grow. Now, this morning, I actually want to look at Ephesians. And it'd be helpful if you had a Bible in front of you. If there's one in the pews or in the chairs, grab that and go to Ephesians chapter 4. And as you get there, um, it's page 977. As you get there, I will just set the background on this. There are six chapters in the book of Ephesians. The first three focus entirely on God's work of salvation, what he has done, grace. The, the second group of three chapters, chapters four, five, and six, bring out the imperatives. Go do this. Walk in this manner. Don't do this. It gives us the therefore. And it's important to recognize the grace comes first and then the growth. But on a Sunday when we are gathered as one body, I felt like this was a very appropriate passage to look at because it's about unity in the body. The Apostle Paul starts this passage out by saying, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You've been called to a very high and lofty position as citizens of heaven. If you are a Christian, you belong to God. This is not your home. You are now a co-heir with Christ. There is a glorious inheritance waiting for you. That is a high calling to be a, a son or a daughter of God. And he says, walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And then he goes on in verse four and he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. Do you catch that word one in there? The pop question that I asked last time was how many churches are there on Fleming Island? The answer is there is only one church in the world. 
Sure, there are many expressions of it. I mean, even this morning, we're blending expressions from the 11 o'clock service and the 9 o'clock and the 745. But there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. This passage speaks to the unity of the body. Because Christ is one and is the head of the body, there is only one body. All who are in Christ belong one to another. And the apostle is speaking to this. And then he goes on and he says in verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to Christ's gift. And then skipping down, verse 11, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And this is really important to see what these offices are for. It says that they are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's verse 12. So those who are called into special offices within the body of Christ are not to do the work of ministry, but to equip the saints to do the work of ministry so that the whole body would be built up. If you're not sure what a saint is, it is a Christian. Any Christian is a saint. Is, uh, the, the word means holy one. The Greek word is hagios. The saints are the holy ones. They're holy because they've been set aside by God. In Christ, he has saved you out of an old way of life, and you are now a new creation set aside for his work. That makes you a saint, a holy one. And then it goes on, and it says, until we attain to the, the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That speaks of growth. Christ saved you out of an old way of life, tugging on the choke collar, resisting him, rejecting him, moving in the wrong direction, bringing pain to yourself and to others, kicking against God, resisting that, that darkness. And he's brought you into a new way of walking with him, working with him, empowered by his spirit. And this is a lifelong process of growing into the full stature of maturity in Christ. To know God, to know Christ, the Son of God, personally, to have an experience of him, to have his power at work within you. And then it goes on a little further. In verse 15, it says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So Christ is the head. There's one body, and all who are in him are in that body. And it says, From whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. Right there, it implies that the body of Christ might not be working properly. But when it is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right here is a picture of why God saves people. He saves them out of an old way of life and into a new society of people and gives them work to be built up, to be mature, to become like Christ. And it's a lifelong process of work. That's what the church is about. The church in the world is about growing to become like Christ and to be what he made us to be. Grace and then growth. I want to share with you a testimony of growth <clears throat> happening in this church. I was speaking with a man who's now in leadership in our church, and he's in this room, but I'm not going to say who it is. If you know who it is, you can talk to him about it. He's not embarrassed about his testimony. He said, in sharing some things that had happened to him, that he said, I, I'm not even sure I was a Christian. And he, he was raised in the church and had been around church for a while and then went astray and had such a powerful experience over the last three years that he's now said, I'm not even sure I was a Christian. What God has done in my life has changed me profoundly. And it was a combination of several things. 
One is, three years ago on Easter Sunday, he was in here as we were talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And he started thinking about that, and he, and he wanted to put himself in the context of what happened. So he started reading the Bible from the resurrection forward. What did happen when Christ rose? What was the reaction of the people? What did the church do in response to that? And he found himself reading through the Apostle Paul and going on the missionary journeys and reading books like <clears throat> Ephesians and Romans, going through Acts, seeing what happened. And he found himself going, this is good stuff. I, why didn't I ever notice this before? This is good stuff. And, and at the same time, we offered a program called Christianity Explored. And he decided to get plugged into one of the groups. <clears throat> and he went to a group and, and found that he started to experience community with people here. He knew some other people in church. So when he came on Sunday mornings, he recognized people. He was starting to share life together. And then he was provoked by something he heard from this pulpit and from another pulpit in a different church. The pastors were speaking about God speaking to them. They were making claims that God had guided them. That, he, they, that God had interacted with their lives and actually done something in response to prayer. And this, of course, incited the cynic in him, and he said, oh, here comes the snake handling. That was his immediate reaction. If they're hearing from God, now they're going to do all this weird snake handling and other weird stuff. But he recognized that in his life, there was a, a choke happening, where he, for a long time, he kept resisting God and was just not doing well. And he had this observation if God can hang the planets, he can put a pretty good plan in place for my life. If God can hang this planet and keep that in order, maybe he can run my life better than I can. And so he opened himself up to potentially that God could speak to him. That's all it took. He opened himself up to the possibility and invited God to speak to him. Now, I believe that God was speaking all along in this man's life. Because God is speaking to you, he's speaking to me, he's constantly seeking and pursuing people. This man turned, and he looked up at his master, and then all sorts of things started happening. He, he put out there a prayer to the Lord, whether or not he was supposed to help at a work day at the barn. He said, I'll drive by the church, if they're there, I'll help. So he starts helping. He had a conflict with work over whether or not to go on the men's retreat, and he was supposed to go to this work thing, but he really was like, oh, maybe I should go, I don't know. And somebody there said, hey, I've got a seat in my car. Why don't you come to the men's retreat? And he felt like that was from God because he was listening for it. So he went on the men's retreat, and he started to have this experience where the scripture verse that says pray without ceasing became his verse. He started hearing God all the time. He started seeing God's favor in his work, in his family, in his church life. He's now in leadership. This is a man who over three years went from thinking uh, he wasn't even a Christian now to being filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, praying, walking with God, and he said, I'm a new man. And he is a new man. Yeah. That is about grace and growth. It is about grace and growth. And I could keep telling you stories but I don't want to be the one to tell you the stories. I want you to hear them from those people. We did a series on storytellers this past semester, and we heard a number of stories. This is happening over and over and over again in the midst of us. This man is middle-aged. It's happening with the youth as well, teenagers, all sorts of amazing things. This is amazing. And you know what it took? A willingness to get connected. This morning, I want to invite you to do a couple of things. One is I want to invite you to get connected into the body of Christ. Because as Ephesians says here, it's when the parts are functioning properly that the whole body grows and builds itself up in love. If you're not part of the body, you're not going to grow. 
Coming on Sunday is a good first step. But then you've got to get plugged in beyond that. There's a connection guide in the back on your way out. I encourage you to take it. It's our third iteration of this, and we're getting better and clearer about the programs, the path for growth, how our church functions. I want to encourage you this year to take a step into the body. Get connected. Find a ministry. Get plugged in. There are numerous ministries out there. The other thing is that I want you to buy into the story. I want you to take ownership of the story of this church, even if you weren't there before. There are people that were there before that weren't there before that. Our church is like 140 years old, technically. And so it's sort of like standing on the shoulders of giants. We keep doing that. But at some point, you join into the the church. I want you to buy into it. Now, on Vision Sunday, let me tell you what is very clear to me, to the vestry, to the leaders of the church. As we look to God, he is moving us this year to focus on um, strengthening our church and releasing ministry by a specific project. And it's a project that is related to our mortgage. This started before the vestry made a decision this summer. Remember last August, I told you about one of our leaders traveling to Singapore. He was in an Anglican church there. They prayed for him, and his prayer request was for help with our mortgage. And they gave $100 to him to bring back to our church because they believed in the church. That was seed money, I believe. And in, in addition to that, there have been two dozen people in this past year, in 2015, without asking, just following the Lord, were moved to make gifts specifically to the principal on our loan. It, it's almost $50,000 that has come in without us doing anything. Then in July, the vestry, in the midst of that, made a decision to put $142,000 up from our building fund into the principal. And this is happening because God is moving it. For three years now in a row, we've experienced growth. Numerical growth, both in average Sunday attendance, it's grown from 456 on a Sunday to 492. Now, that doesn't seem like a huge number, but that's average over the year. It's just, it's, it's creeping up. For three years in a row, the giving has increased, and it's creeping up. In the midst of that, we built the barn cash, $315,000 with cash. That was God doing that in our midst. Now, back when the last refinance happened, we had to do something. We were thinking, what are we going to do with this mortgage situation? Well, one of the things we had to do was get the full payment into our operating, into our operating budget and not pay it from a, the building fund. Building fund is now gone. But what we did is we moved a third of it in and then we moved the whole thing in. For three years in a row, we've paid the full mortgage from our budget. Now, for three years in a row, we finished in the red, which has worn down every little bit of reserves and it makes us tight. I don't want to sow fear. I want to recognize that we are growing, and now is the moment when God is about to release more ministry. We have a lot of dreams about what we can do as a church, but this is a year where that's got to be the focus. So what I'm asking you to do this morning, in addition to getting connected, is I'm asking you to simply pray, to turn your eyes to the Lord and pray. There is a card in the bulletin that is a Uh, it's called the Heart of Mission, which is what we're calling a campaign. And on the back, it says name, email, and I commit for the Heart of Mission campaign through email devotions. If you fill this out, there are three baskets at the front of the rows. I want you to drop it in the basket and simply commit to pray for the next month. We will be emailing out a morning devotion as we seek God on this. There will be a lot of other opportunities to hear the details of what's coming, but we want to turn our eyes to God first. And we want to pray. 
This is a church that is founded on prayer. It's sort of fun as I stand here to remember back eight years ago when we occupied this building before the pews were put in and before the flooring went down, we had a prayer vigil all night and we came in and there were Sharpies, black, big black magic markers, and we, we wrote prayers on the foundation of this church. I wrote prayers right over there where you're sitting, Kristen. I wrote a prayer right underneath you. I just remember with my kids and they were little then, we wrote prayers and people were in here all night just praying. We're a church that turns our eyes to God and we do it through prayer. All I'm asking you for this morning is to pray for this next month. And then there'll be a town hall meeting coming up. There's more information about it. I sent a letter out. I want you to pray for a month, turn in those cards, and let's turn our eyes to God and see what he has in store. I believe we're going to strengthen this church at the core so that we can expand our ministries beyond that. And there are a lot of other things that I want to share with you, but right now that's what we've got to focus on. God is about grace and growth, and he's inviting us to continue growing. So let's now um, go to prayer. I want to pray now, and then I'm going to invite us to kneel. In fact, why don't we kneel, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask our prayer leader to come up and lead us in a prayer for unity. You can sit if you're not able to, to kneel. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your presence in the midst of this people. We thank you for 10 years. We thank you for lives that are being changed, including the one I gave testimony to this morning. We pray that you would turn our eyes to you, that we would hear your voice, that you would guide us. I pray for any in this room right now who have never had that experience of of you guiding them. Father, give them the courage to turn to you. Lord, we pray for this church, and we ask that you would unite us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.